0: This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the
1: Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. And this is our final segment, uh, or final half hour, actually, of Real Presence Live this morning. Thank you for joining us Um, in this conversation. We just uh, visited with Father Brian Christensen, again, from Rapid City, South Dakota, and uh, that Healing Through the Eucharist with Dr. Mary Mary Healy is coming up. Again, so check that out. Um, December 9th and 10th, there at Terra Sancta Retreat Center. This hour, we're going to visit with Father James Ermer. He's the pastor at St. Leo's Parish in Castleton. Good morning, Father. Good
2: morning. How was your Thanksgiving? And St. Thomas in
1: Buffalo. Oh, St. Thomas in Buffalo. We don't want to forget yeah, that. Amen. There we go. <laughs> All right, St. Leo's in Castleton and St. Thomas in Buffalo. And how was your Thanksgiving, Father?
2: Very good. Yours?
1: It was very good. good. Lots of turkey um, and very little pie because I don't need very much pie.
2: I love pie. <laughs> yes, I love it too, <laughs> but it, it loves me. <laughs> me too.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so we're talking about Thanksgiving, of course, this weekend. We're going to talk more about the Eucharist. Uh, we've been having these conversations with Father Ermer, really the history of the sacraments. Um, and uh, last segment, we talked about the Eucharist up to the time of the Reformation, and we're going to continue that conversation, Father.
2: Yeah, maybe just kind of a little summary there, just so we kind of catch a sense, because mm-hmm. it's been a few weeks since that last was done. Um, I think sometimes people need to remember that in 313 AD, when the Edict of Milan by Constantine made basically, you know, to make a story, long story short, Christianity was the, uh, the religion of the Roman Empire. A lot of things changed in life at the Church, and one of the things was, you know, they got buildings, and so like St. John Lateran was bestowed in the Church. That created all sorts of changes in the life, in development of the, especially the Eucharist kind of thing. Sunday became a day of rest, you know, for the, for the Empire kind of thing. And I think a lot of things that people don't realize, there's a lot of variety in the church. It isn't like it is today, as maybe as centralized as, as it was back then. Uh, you had the Eastern Church and the Western Church. Uh, there's differences kind of in their theology, a the way they approached the theology. The East was much more built around the Holy Spirit. I think the West was a little more the person of Christ. That made some difference in terms of the Eucharist, in terms of... Uh, What brings about the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist in the East It's much more the invocation of the Holy Spirit, not the demise of the institution words uh, that Jesus said at the Last Supper. In the West, that was much more the the concentration was on the words of uh, institution, what we call the words of consecration. Uh, Then you have in the larger European scene, there's the Church of the North above the Alps Mountain. You have the Gallican liturgies versus the Roman liturgies in Italy and, and so forth. And so those things weren't as unified as we think. And so a lot of practices developed. But two big changes that a lot of people think about in that period of time between up there and the Reformation was, one was when the teaching of the church became pretty strong on the sacrifice, that this is the sacrifice of, of Christ in Calvary here, re- renewed on this altar for our, that developed into a very interesting kind of pro- issues for the church that ultimately are going to culminate in the, in the Reformation Another one I think is kind of important that I think a lot of people don't give credence to. When the Eastern Church would go on missionary work to maybe Slavic countries and stuff like that, maybe Cyril and Methodius, they were very interested in developing the language of Scripture and the language of liturgy into the vernacular languages of the places where they went to. That didn't happen in the West. We basically took the Latin language. And that has some comp- interesting complications when you get to combining... This was the idea of the sacrifice of the Mass. <clears throat> Excuse me. And one of the things that happened is <clears throat> the private Mass is to begin to begin. Once this is the sacrifice of Calvary done for the benefit of the world, then Masses, the benefits of a Mass can be offered for a lot of different intentions, which we you know know the practice today. But what the language is in liturgy, the, la- the language is in Latin, and so the liturgy becomes a little more distant from people because in the North, that isn't the common language. That isn't the vernacular language. And so the Mass in the West becomes a little more centered on seeing the Lord, less on communion. And once we say this is the sacrificial Christ, the divine Son of God here on this altar for our presence, people begin to say, maybe I shouldn't be receiving communion as much. You begin to have a rare reverence for that Lord on the altar and the language you can't understand because it's a necessary language. Maybe not understand it, but not very well. And so what it begins to develop as a practice in the West that I think is, is something we don't think about. If this is the divine mystery of Christ himself on the altar, you know, uh, a lot of things to begin to develop in the Eucharist. You begin to start doing a lot more genuflections because this is the divine presence of Christ, the one who died for us in Calvary, a lot more signs of the cross, blessed over the elements of bread and wine at different parts of the, of the Mass. And um, beginning seeing Jesus becomes more important than communion with Jesus in that part of the world. And so you have some things, for example, uh, because this is the divine presence of Christ, I might not be worthy. And so maybe rather than receiving the Eucharist unworthily and being damned, maybe I should just go and be present and see this mystery unfold before me as the priest consecrates the bread and wine and elevates it. And, you know, because it's uh, in Latin and people have to have books to kind of understand what's going on here. That developed, I think, sermons even began to to disappear in the life of the church because it was all centered on this Eucharistic element that was happening on the altar. And priests were ordained just to basically say masses because the benefit of these masses could be applied to all sorts of intentions that people had offerings for and stuff like that. And it's also interesting to me that uh, that's where the word low masses come from. A low Mass versus a high Mass was basically <clears throat> the, a priest offering a single Mass for whatever the intentions were, where a public Mass or high Mass was much more public, a ceremonial. It was uh, maybe accompanied by none of the other clerics helping that, priest who were celebrating the Mass. It became a distinction, so Masses were offered for a lot of people's intentions, and many Masses were offered a day by a priest. Some were just ordained to celebrate Mass for, to, to do these offerings. And the word host that we use, you know, how many hosts are you going to put out for Mass today? The word is a Latin word, meaning sacrificial victim. So that idea of the sacrifice of the Mass became a very dominant theme, and that became kind of an issue when you get to the Reformation, and that's what maybe the heart of this conversation today is about. You know, uh, Luther was a priest. He was an Augustinian monk, and he uh, saw the many Masses being offered by a priest, and of course, he is kind of, what I think becomes down known as works righteousness. You can, you basically um, sell masses so that the benefit, the graces will come bestowed on you or deceased loved ones, and that you kind of worked your way to heaven, which was the classic, you know, Reformation, um, you know, classic Reformation sort of um, claim against the church. We thought you could save yourself by doing the various works, you know, and you're saved by works and not faith, and that became a big thing. And Luther is the one who said what's at the heart of this thing here these masses being offered and thousands of being masses and almost working your way to heaven is this teaching on the sacrifice that is where in the time of the reformation became an interesting problem because Luther said that's not true Uh, the sacrifice the Christ is present and truly present but uh, it's not because Calvary happened in our case 2,000 years ago uh, it's not repeatable kind of a thing and so what happened begins. this provokes some big, some big questions. If this isn't a sacrifice, and yet Christ is really present, because that was something that I think most of the Protestant reformers would accept, was the fact is, okay, so would this become a question about the real presence? In which way is Christ really present in this Eucharist? Uh, now, the Catholic Church was the Christ who died on Calvary is the, is the presence of the one who's really here on this altar and this elements of bread and wine. And uh, Luther, who was a great scripture scholar, he accepted that 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 was the presence of Christ in the elements of bread and wine. But for him, that was an act of offering done for the people versus an offering offered to God. And that became uh, an an interesting problem for because for, that's not the way the church looked at. The offering the mass was an offering to God, the Father who has sent his Son on this altar the benefit of the salvation of people and these benefits can be applied to all sorts of people. Uh, it was the Catholic kind of teaching. Luther said no, it's an offering to the people of the saving fact what happened in salvation history into Christ's death and death on the cross. And so Luther was not always um, uh, uh, one who was in agreement with the other Protestant reformers like John Calvin who was in Switzerland and all were exhilaratingly they had to answer those questions. What is this presence? Scripture is very clear. Take this and eat. This is my body. Take this and drink. Everyone had the same scripture, so how do you understand that kind of scripture? Luther said, yes, that's the real presence. He was a very deep scripture scholar. He says it's pretty clear. The Greek says, this my body. This my blood. And it means exactly what it says. It's not symbolic. It's not a mental. John Calvin, who wasn't a priest, basically, in Switzerland, he said, yeah, I sense when you celebrate the Eucharist and we, we recall that Last Supper of the Lord, uh, what really the presence is is a presence of strength. Christ is here, and I'm strengthened to do the works of uh, you know what uh, faith would demand of us or what charity would demand of us and stuff like that. Ulrich Zwingli was even a little less cons- uh, convicted about what that real presence was, except that it was a verbal reminder. It's a symbolic kind of a thing. And so out of that Reformation came some interesting perspectives on on how the real presence of Christ, because he said those words at the Last Supper, no one denies that, but how it gets understood, becomes pretty pretty problematic. And so Trent had to make some interesting responses to that as the response to the Reformation. And If you might remember, Trent went on from 1546 to 1564, 18 years that the church met the Council of Trent, and they had to deal with all these issues with the, the Reformation. And one of the things that is this not a sidelight, but certainly an integral part of this question was, if this isn't a sacrifice, as Luther may say, because that was done once for all at the time of Christ in Calvary, then you don't need priests. Because by very different definition, that's what a priest is. A priest is someone who offers a sacrifice. Now, that's interesting today. You know, Catholic ministers are called priests, you never hear that word ever used in Protestant denominations. And that tells you that this idea of the sacrifice of the Mass has been a very different understanding for them. The real presence gets pulled into that question because what is the presence of Christ is really present the Catholic? It's the death and resurrection of the one who died in Calvary. That's who becomes present. And, and every time that the words of consecration are prayed to over this um, bread and wine of the Eucharist.
1: If you're just joining us, folks, we're talking with Father James Ermer, and we're taking a deep dive, deep dive into the history of the Eucharist in the Catholic Church, talking about really this history of the question that comes up, how is Jesus truly present in the Eucharist? Or is Jesus present in the Eucharist? Is it a sacrifice? Um, Is this an offering to God, or is this an offering to the people, as Father Ermer is talking here? We're going to take a break here and come back and grab another cup of coffee, uh, because in this deep dive, we want to keep you uh, Uh, really uh, engaged in this conversation on the Eucharist, Um, but it's important to know where the church has been at. Uh, Oftentimes in our faith, the answers we have, the teachings that we have are based upon a question that came up in the early church of saying, what did Jesus mean by these words? And so this is a great conversation we're having here with Father James Ermer. This is Real Presence Live, and we'll be back just on the other side of this break. This is
0: Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network.
1: If you are interested in supporting the mission of Real Presence Radio during this season of giving, there are gifts to consider that offer great tax benefits. These end-of-year gifts could come in handy in a few months when your taxes are due. Join our friends and the spirit of Real Presence Radio during this year-end season of giving. This is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement. Please call me at 701-290-4503, and together we can continue to make a difference in the lives of our listeners.
0: Searching for more great Catholic content? Visit our website at realpresenceradio.com. Find Catholic news you can trust, information about events coming up in the local area, and the latest on what's happening at the RPR Network. And don't forget that you can listen to any of our stations around the clock from anywhere in the world. Need prayers for someone or something in your life? You can submit those through our online form for the entire family to pray for. Real Presence Radio, your family of faith and hope. Online at realpresenceradio.com.
3: This is Lavinia Spirito for Catholic Way Bible Study. Pope John the Twenty-Third called for a new Pentecost in our day. Just as the first Pentecost was the foundation, For the first missionary impetus of the Church, so the new Pentecost is the foundation for the new evangelization, the renewed missionary effort of the body of Christ. In fact, the new evangelization cannot happen without a new Pentecost. But to live a new Pentecost is to play with fire, because evangelization is about true salvation. It is not about the easy and cultural acceptable path of enrichment. Our God is a holy and awesome God who requires our holiness and trust. Only through life in the Holy Spirit can we model the kingdom and be true missionaries. Catholic Way Bible Study. Peace. Power. Purpose. Find out more at cwbs.org.
0: You're listening to Real Presence Live! Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network.
1: This is Real Presence Live. Steve Swanskowski here along with Tom O'Keefe. And we're uh, talking with, or more, more often, more listening to uh, Father James Irmer, talking about the Eucharist here uh, as, the, again, this journey of a Eucharistic revival. And I think one of the most uh, really uh, uh awesome things about these conversations is, is looking at the church and how we know that at, at Christ's ascension, he didn't say, oh, by the way, guys, here's the manual for the church and how I want you to, to run the church. And so here, you know, how to have your own church, do it yourself book. He didn't give him one. Uh, we spent, we've spent the last 2000 years plus, um, understanding what Christ has revealed to us in scripture. And so going back and through this journey and recognizing that, yeah, things have changed over time as tr- as the church's understanding of this revelation um, has become more clear. And so sometimes we get frustrated, like, oh, this changes in the church. Well, guess what? <laughs> guess what? The church is a journey. This is a, this is a journey through
2: faith. And so that's why we're
1: journeying now on this, this understanding of the Eucharist with Father Ermer.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, thank you. Again, uh, like I said, the Reformation brought up pretty big... Uh, issue about the sacrifice of the mass that is pretty typical catholic terminology well really became questioned by especially um, luther because i think he saw a lot of abuses going on in the life of the catholic church he himself was an augustinian priest and monk and so he could speak maybe a little more clearly about that but that has become like i said um, the notion that we have priests the very definition of priest is someone who offers a sacrifice that still lives on to this day uh, lutheran ministers or methodists or baptists or are called pastors typically and not, not priests, and that tells you something about where their theology of the Eucharist of sacrifice is about. That becomes much more limited than any way in the Catholic Church does. And so in response to those Reformers, maybe just to get back, the Council of Trent, which met from 1546 to 1564, they did three documents on the Eucharist in those 18 years in which they met. One was on the real presence, and so the Church defined at that point, real presence for us is that when the words of consecration are prayed, Christ inheres in the bread and the wine, not just in my mind, and not just in sort of a sense of strengthening me to do personal kinds of things, but in the bread and wine, and um, it perdures until it's consumed. That's why we have tabernacles in the Catholic Church, even though maybe other Protestant denominations would say we believe in real presence, but in a different way. It's not a perduring presence in the bread and the wine uh, that's been consecrated, that the words of institution have been prayed over. I think that's a big distinction. So that was one of the teachings of of, uh, Trent, was the fact that that perduring presence in the bread and wine until it's consumed. Uh, That became the teaching on the real presence. Another one that Luther had asked about was receiving both the body and blood of Christ. And uh, I don't think the church was ever opposed to that. In fact, they didn't develop that very much, but that's where the the church taught about the fact if you receive just the body or the blood, of Christ, the precious blood, you receive the whole Christ. That was a teaching that came out of, of Trent on that as a challenge that Martin Luther wanted back that, that the lay people should be receiving both the body and blood of Christ. And so that became until really after Vatican II here, until more recently that reception of the, the chalice and the precious blood of Christ is being offered. So that's been for 500 some years we haven't done that until now. And the other one was that the Mass is a sacrifice. And uh and a sacrifice it is a sacrifice and so you got a kind of a teaching out of that that bishops i think even to this day will tell priests read the black and do the red <laughs> that's how you celebrate don't be doing any of these in, in in innovation or innovations and stuff like that because they realized there was abuses the church did address some of that but rather than sort of going at it wholehearted they did say this way they made me do it you read the black and you do the red, the rubrics, the bag, basically, events. that. And I think that's the way it was after that until we basically, to this day, that's even said to priests today. But I think in that period of time, from the Reformation to the modern time, one of the movements that began to happen was Jansenism in Europe, which was a real reflection on the body was bad, things of the body were kind of evil, which was another going back that we weren't worthy. And that created a lot of things in the life of the church. People didn't receive communion. Even I was born in 1949. Unless you went to confession, you couldn't receive communion because of unworthiness kind of thing. And that's where you got the teaching about making a spiritual communion. Maybe you weren't worthy to receive communion, but at least you could make a spiritual communion. come and watch the action you know as it does, as it unfolds on the altars of our church. You know that's why even in the Catechism that they talks about, there's an Easter duty at least once a year you're caught, you're expected to receive communion. I think most Catholics, they would say, well, where does that come from? That came out of an area an era in a church where this Jansenism really kind of, we weren't worthy, which was previous back to the time of the, how the church celebrated before Luther and the Reformers uh, about that uh, fact is that uh, this was so precious a gift. And these things keep coming back time and time again. That's why Pius tenth, in the early 1900s basically said uh, the frequency of communion. He encouraged that. He developed the age for communion being seven years of age because that was the age that kids could start maybe committing sin or being knowledgeable of being responsible for sin, and therefore communion was kind of the remedy for that. So all this kind of stuff has happened in history that I think a lot of Catholics are not aware of. There's been a lot of, like you said, Steve, a lot of fluxes and changes that go on in, the, in, this, in this world of the Eucharist. And, uh, and so what happened in the early 1900s was what uh, St. John's University down here was part of that part of the liturgical movement. Uh, with, this was with Pius tenth, with maybe encouraging people to receive communion more frequently, You know that seventh graders were allowed. Because part of that, you could get teenage years before you were entered into the Eucharist. I think that's a history that so many Catholics are not aware of that, that, that has gone on. And so there was this liturgical movement. And the heart and soul, I think, of that liturgical movement, I think we don't quite realize, was to reach back into the deep history, well before Trent, into the 700s, in the 500s, in the 400s. And that became the, the dominant thing that I think as Vatican II begins to emerge was, okay, and now what's, if, the, if we're digging into this deep history, what was the mass, like the Eucharist, that sacramental thing, in the time of Augustine and Ambrose, way back? And that became the foundation for what happened in Vatican II and the subsequent years that came after Vatican II. What was that deeper and richer history way back then? And so when the Vatican II met and some of the documents came out, on sacraments and the church life and so forth like this, that's where those kinds of practices were reaching way back into the, year. and one of the things that obviously was always there as we set the stage maybe for the next next time we get together, is there's always been two parts of this, of this thing called the Eucharist. There's been what we would call the Liturgy of the Word and the Liturgy of the Eucharist. Even back at the time of Scripture and the ex Apostles, they sat, they broke bread, and they listened to the apostolic instructions. They listened to the instructions by the apostles, and they broke bread, this communion. That became foundational to, I think, how the church uh, sets up the stage now for the, the present day, what we call the modern mass, or whatever kind of thing. I'd like to kind of go through some of that structure to see where that comes from in a much deeper history in the church. Thank
1: you so much. hearing the voice of Father James Ermer talking about the history of the Eucharist, the Eucharist through time, Uh, Again, talking there from the Reformation up to Vatican II, and we'll take that apart a little more uh, next time we're on um, when we get him scheduled. Folks, uh, this is Real Presence Live, and we do have another show coming up tomorrow, we have Rachel who's going to give us a preview. So, Rachel, what's coming up next, Real Presence Live?
3: On the next Real Presence Live, Tuesday from 9 to 11 a.m. Central, Nick Modelski is your host, coming to you live from St. James Coffee in Rochester. He'll be talking with Kevin O'Neill about teaching children about God through Legos, and Father Andrew Thuringer will be sharing about experiencing God through the transcendentals. All this and more is coming on the next Real Presence Live Tuesday from nine to 11 a.m. Central, back to you.
1: Thank you, Rachel, for that. And uh, Father, as we talk about the, this journey of the Eucharist <clears throat> into Vatican II, and I, uh, there's many, case the power, the good power of the internet, you can look up um, many of these writings of the early church fathers and what the, the Eucharist looked like um, at that time. Um, and talking about those, you know, the parts of the Eucharist where we had, the, you know, the breaking of the bread and the, and the scriptures uh, being read. Reflecting on, on that. I think it's just such an amazing thing. As we were talking earlier on the break that there's this, the journey of our faith is this tension between extremes constantly throughout time. Right? We bounce from one extreme to the other, and it's like (laughs) this tension. And we're called to be in that tension. I think, as a conversation we've had a number of times, that sometimes it was like, I want to get rid of the tension. I just want to know, tell me what's right and tell me what's wrong. (laughs) Well, guess what? There are certain things that the church um, is not going to define for you. Uh, There are things that she will, kind of like G.K. Chesterton here's the boundaries of the playground, right? Here's here's the borders. Here's the borders. Um, But, right. Within those borders, there's time. There's room for discussion.
2: Absolutely, and I think uh, I've always been enjoyed one as a person that loves history because I, you know, we haven't always been doing it this way or that way, and I think it's funny people think we do. But two books that I've used in my own life is they came when I was in seminary was uh, Joseph Jungman. He was a Jesuit. He was part of that liturgical movement in the 1900s, and he wrote a classic book. I and it's I think it's an excellent book if people want to follow. It's called The Mass. A historical, theological, and pastoral survey. He goes through all these kinds of changes and when they happen and what were kind of foundational. And another one is, I, I think he might be Benedictine, I'm not so sure, Johannes Emminghaus, called The Eucharist Essence, Form, and Celebration. Uh, that was written in 1976. These are great, uh, I think, books if you want to read kind of that deep his, the deeper history, and I'm not so sure that's always good for radio, but uh, it's a, a reflection of how these changes have happened and these walks between extremes.
1: Absolutely. Folks, uh, again, thank you for being here with us this morning. Tom, thanks for joining me again as a co-host for Real Presence Live.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It was a blessing to be here.
1: Yeah, just a great conversation, folks. And uh, stay tuned uh, to Real Presence Radio. We've got uh, more great programming coming up next. Uh, and again, remember, end of year giving. This is your opportunity to continue to give to Real Presence Radio to support the work that we do here. Um, and, uh, you know, that this this work is not possible without your generosity and the many souls that have been called Um, and drawn to Christ through the work that's being done here at Real Presence Radio is possible because of your generosity. So thank you for uh, considering an end of your gift to Real Presence Radio, and uh, stay tuned to Real Presence Radio. God bless. Have a great day.